It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hour number two starts now. You're listening to Green and Growing. Good morning. I'm really glad you're here. I know your weekends are packed full this time of year. And it means so much to me that you stick around and you enjoy the show every Saturday. Or maybe you don't enjoy the show. You listen to it and you're absolutely just screaming at your radio, frustrated or confused about something that I do. But nevertheless, I'm really glad you're listening. 404-872-0750. I get so much enjoyment. There's Dave Baker, ladies and gentlemen. I get so much enjoyment out of uh, interacting with you all throughout the week, too. I mean, I'm in traffic mode, right, Monday through Friday. Uh, on the station, but it's kind of nice to come home in the mornings before lunchtime and kind of start doing some show prep for green and growing. And a lot of uh, questions from you all really inspire some of the the show prep that I do and conversations with Nicole from Griffin and Mickey Gasway, Walter Reeves, uh, Becky Griffin. Loved having Becky on just now. And we kind of ran a little short on time there, but uh, hope you caught her resources for educators. Um, really, if some of you are, I know you're probably thinking about winding down, you're starting to work on report cards, but uh, there is still so much science to be done and be taught come January and February and getting kids excited about the upcoming planting season. So thanks to Becky for mentioning um, the great Georgia Pollinator Census website, ggapc.org. So it's great Georgia, gapc.org, uh, Pollinator Census website. And there under the Educators tab, fantastic stuff. The Backyard Nature Hunt, uh, teaching kids about butterflies. Of course, the Great Pollinator Census, which I promote on the show every year to get folks involved. Literally 15 minutes, one day, where you sit in front of a plant and watch all the different insects that come visit it. Um, But some of the lesson plans, my goodness, how wonderful that these folks associated with the University of Georgia come up with these lesson plans and some great ideas. And I kind of wanted to brag on one teacher uh, in Cherokee County bragging on another, and I'm not going to have any names because I may have this teacher on because I think this is a great idea. But um, when the Braves won the World Series, right, this middle school teacher wanted to have a turf grass expert uh, in the classroom to talk to the kids about the grass and the field and all of that. And the speaker couldn't make it, so the teacher pivoted and thought, okay, well, I'm going to link the World Series and baseball back to agriculture. And this is for middle schoolers. You know, maybe they're in the Future Farmers of America program. Maybe they're not. Maybe on they're on the college prep track. But giving them a different way to think about these things. So stealing some of her ideas, the cork center of the ball is made from tree bark. Um, the balls and the hand-stitched cowhide on the baseballs. And then um, dipped in mud, mined from a Tennessee river system for the modeled coloring on the balls. I did not know that. And then even the bats. How do you think the bats are made? Well, Louisville Sluggers, she says, made from maple wood. So just a way, you know, you think this seems obvious to you and I, but a way that you can take something, like Becky said, even a novel, um, a book, and turn it into a science lesson for kids. My gosh, STEM programs and all of that are fantastic. Good ways to get kids involved in the gardens. So the ways that you all do that, I love it. And I would be happy if you'd like to share it. You don't even have to be an educator. You can be a parent. You can be a grandparent. And how you get kids excited about being outside. 
404-872-0750, the number to get through to Green and Growing. And up next, we're going to talk to Mitchell. Good morning, Mitchell. Welcome to the show. Good morning. So what are you seeing on those roses? Tell me all about it. Well, we put a new rose garden in this uh, this summer and this spring, and uh, everything was great. And then we started having all the just nonstop rain and the wetness, and we got black spot real bad. I've been spraying a fungicide, but it's just not helping. Um, what can I do this winter? Should I just completely defoliate them and spray sulfur? Or what's, what's, what's the process this winter of trying to get black spot out of my rose garden? So even though, you know, it's a newly planted garden, um, are they planted and spaced far enough apart to where due to those heavy rains and all of that, they're still able to get some good air circulating around them, or are they already starting to grow into one another? No, they're five and six feet apart. Oh, good. Okay. So, yep, uh, number one would be, you know, removing the diseased leaves because, like I said earlier, some of those things, if the diseased leaves stay at the base of the plant, a lot of these fungus can overwinter, and that means they're just going to hang out in the soil and be back next year. So kind of making it as clean of an environment as you can. Uh, Keeping the foliage dry, which we do the best we can in the air circulation and proper planting and all of that. But, like, what are some of the sprays? I mean, are you just using common fungicides and they just don't seem to be working? Uh, the one I'm using is a spectricide um, antifungal. Okay. Because um, sprays and also rose dusts are pretty effective, but it's definitely not a one-time thing. So you would ha- have to reapply at least, depending on you know what, what traction you're making, every week or two, multiple you know reapplications of it. Um, of course, after a rain, all of it's going to get washed away as well. So repeatedly doing that... Um, the good news though, I would just go ahead and not worry about it losing its leaves now, let nature take its course, but do start to remove all of that stuff from, from the bottom. So even if that means raking away, you know, some of the good mulch that you already had there, go ahead and just take it away make sure no disease stays on the top of the soil, put a fresh layer of mulch down now. Um, and then really Mitchell, what you'll probably want to do now that you're aware of it and you know that's coming up, it's good planning for 2022, get ahead of it early. So as the leaves start to unfurl and it really starts putting on a lot of new growth, start doing some preventative fungicides and you'll probably beat it out and you'll get ahead of it this time. Well, thank you very much. You're so welcome. I'm glad you called. And like I said, you know, folks, you have the options to not only the fungicide sprays, but some of the rose dusts as well. And I can remember my mom gardening and and that was what she used was the dust as well. That's probably going to stay on and linger a little bit better than some of the sprays that could be washed away. I'm glad you called. 404-872-0750. Up next, good morning to James in Lilburn. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, so what are you, what's your question about? Uh, my question is the um, pomegranate plant. I had uh, planted two last year, and I uh, got them in January, and one didn't make it, and one did really good. So a question is, do I can I is it better to germinate the seeds or go ahead and clone a branch? You know, I would honestly, if it's something that you love and you're really curious about it, James, I would do one each. If it's not too much work, well, actually, I would actually try a couple, maybe, you know, do three clippings or something um, and try okay. a good number of seeds, five to ten. That way you you are no fail. But um, really, I think it just depends on your skill level. It depends on the hardiness of the variety that you've got. Um, but I think it's always fun for the impatient gardener, you know, to propagate from a cutting. Um, but if you really want to have 
something that I believe it's genetically cloned to the parent if you do the seed from the plant um, to ensure that you get the same plant to go that route. So I would do one of each if you have the time. Yeah, um, have you ever seen the flowers? They're really pretty red and white. I have, and it's been a while, but I can honestly say I've never eaten a pomegranate. But I'm, I'm assuming oh. you have, yes? <laughs> oh, they're like $4 a piece now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and they're beautiful. I mean, they take forever to get as large as they do, but that's fantastic. Right now is about the time to pick them, too. Yes, that's true. That's true. Bright red. I appreciate your help. I was just debating with somebody, and uh, we actually planted some tea plants, too, last year. So those have pretty blooms on them. Wow, I love that. Oh, and I mean, the prop, uh, the process of propagation is so much fun, too. Softwood or hardwood cuttings. Um, hardwood meaning, you know, that's preferred the, the method of propagation. But uh, softwood cuttings, really doing that in early fall, so it's going to be a little late. But so if you want to propagate that way, uh, maybe like in fe- February, once dormancy is complete, you know, things start to, the, the weather, the soil temperatures, all of that start to indicate to the plant that we're going to start growing again. Maybe in February, get a good cut, a long branch, you know, a, a good stem, um, and then go ahead and put it like one part vermiculite, one, pi- one part perlite. I can't talk this morning. I haven't had coffee. That's, <laughs> that's a big reason to do with it. Uh, one part vermiculite, one part perlite. And then once you see about an inch of root growth, you know, you're able to just tug on that stem or that branch and make sure it's kind of starting to hold into that, uh, you can start incorporating peat and soil and all of that. So that's going to be a little bit of a process once you start it in February. But what a fantastic thing to do. James, thanks so much for the call. 404-872-0750. Back in just a few moments with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. And coming up at the bottom of the hour, our friend Joe Lample from the Joe Gardner franchise. Can't wait to pick his brain about a number of things he's observed recently. Stay tuned. 723 coming up in about 10 minutes we'll have joe lample joe gardner joining us you can call 404-872-0750 so yeah the weather update brought to you by finley roofing it's foggy this morning now my part of town driving down 575 and 75 through cobb county i didn't see a lot of low dense fog so uh, visibility was okay for me but that may not be the case and other places around metro Atlanta right now, about 58 degrees, thunderstorms coming in. And according to the radar, it looks like they're going to be moving in right around lunchtime, right after 12 o'clock. So anything you need to get done, go ahead and get it done early. Heavy rain, some of those thunderstorms coming through Arkansas, Kentucky. So you can see the devastation from them. So we need to just be weather aware today. Uh, but we're going to pay the price today to have... Mostly sunny skies tomorrow and Monday. The temperature is going to be really pleasant around 60 degrees. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right. I loved talking with Becky Griffin just a little bit ago and saying it's a great time to reflect on your successes and failures in the garden this past year. So start planning for 2022. Her advice, visit a lot of your local gardens and a lot of them are free for you to walk around when things are in bloom in the spring and the summer. Kind of keep note, take pictures of what you see, plants you want to try. Uh, Keep a journal or at least write on the darn calendar. I've got a great wall calendar that I don't even write anything on anymore, but I'm going to start. When I started my seed, when I planted a particular plant, keeping track of that stuff really comes in handy. Uh, Properly store your seeds. That all falls into thinking ahead and planning ahead in the garden. That way you've got them when you know you're ready for them. 
clean all of your pruning, gas, and electric equipment as well to keep it in tip-top shape for next year. Uh, the coming days may be good days to do that. It's going to be warmer outside. You'll be able to pull that mower and all of those things out of the shed, out of the garage. Give them a good clean, especially the pruners, too. Always keep some kind of vinegar or rubbing alcohol solution, bleach even, a very diluted bleach uh, to clean pruning shears and things. That way you're not transferring diseases. Number two, inspect your hellebores, your Lenten roses. Had a great chat with listener Sharon on Facebook recently. And this summer, you may have watched some of them die back stem by stem. And yeah, sometimes that happens. But proper identification and prevention of hellebore black death. That's kind of what I opened the show talking about. That could be tricky. Uh, It's an easy plant to replace if you need to, like I'm going to need to replace one of mine. Uh, If they still look fine, though, clip away ratty-looking leaves and just wait for new green growth. But generally, those stay green all year round. You're going to enjoy the foliage and then the flowers come winter time when when it's really you know starting to like snow in January February those things pop up with beautiful blooms. And number three, take the time now to cut back things that have withered. Right now they're past the point of really providing much seed for any uh, birds that are looking to feed pollinators, bees. Not so much right now. So if they're just completely dead. Cut them back, uh, especially the annuals like Mexican or perennials, rather, like the Mexican petunias, the canna lilies, hostas, elephant ears, and white ginger lily. And a lot of you ask every time this year, too, what about my elephant ears? What about my canna lilies? You know, I put those tubers, those rhizomes in the ground. Do I need to dig them up? Um, if you haven't already, no, don't. Um, if you're in the North Georgia mountains, maybe. Yeah, I would bring them in, dry them out, um, store them. But in, in my part of the, the city, I don't. I leave them in the ground. I just make sure anything that's delicate like that, I go ahead and put a good layer of um, pine straw. It's free. I've got the pine trees in the backyard. It's already sitting there. So kind of gently rake that up, heap that up, even fallen leaves. Pile that over the place where you have these things planted. That's going to provide some insulation in the ground. And so far, so good. They're not protect or, um forecasting a really harsh winter so i think a lot of that stuff will make it through 404-872-0750 we'll be back you're listening to green and growing on 95.5 wsv Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Halfway through the show, and I think a couple of shout outs are in order. Shout out to Dave Baker, host of the Home Fix It show, for bringing in a Christmas CD this morning. Well, th- there could not be a better gift than this lovely CD, Brent, that you were holding. I haven't hold, held a CD in probably 15, 20 years. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it really is. Case. I we, mean, look at that. We should post this. We totally should. <laughs> and now Shaney B is running around. So if you call, Shane might miss your call just for a moment because Shaney B is running around trying to blow the dust off. First of all, find a CD player and then blow the dust off. Yeah, of we're going to have to figure out how to use this, but we'll uh, we'll figure it out. And I think the button with the triangle is the play button, if I recall <laughs> correctly. You know? like, so that's pretty fantastic. Thanks, Dave Baker, for bringing in a CD, because you never know when we might need one with Christmas tunes. Um, and then Deborah Green, the uh, executive producer for The Mark Aram Show and uh, DJ extraordinaire over on 97.1 The River, bringing me some Christmas food this morning. Oh, my gosh. What a good way to start the day. 404-872-0750. And my next shout out goes to the gentleman on the guest line right now, Joe Lample, joining us from North Georgia. Good morning. Good morning. 
I always How introduce you? you, and I'm like, from the Joe Gardner franchise, he has books, he has podcasts, <laughs> he has a TV show. What do you not do? You said this is a super crazy busy time of year for you. Sleep, to answer your question, You sleep. don't sleep, got it. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, just for you, your creativity and just your natural mind for media one project lends itself to another, to another, and the directions you go, I think often probably surprise you that you never would have known. <laughs> you start with a TV show, and now here yeah. you are podcasting, and you knew, you know, writing books all along. Like, that just shows your passion and your knowledge for gardening, Joe. Hats off to you. I don't know how you do it. Uh, well, right back at you, Ashley. Um, thank you for all those kind words. But, you know, when you love the topic or you love what you do and Obviously, for me, it's gardening and just getting the word out and having the opportunity and a platform to be able to do that. And then, you know, not just with one platform, but figuring out, okay, well, how can we – some people love to get, consume their knowledge or their information via visually through mm -hmm. television. But other people like to read. Other people like to listen. Other people like to, you know, take online courses. And so we're just trying to meet people where they are with, this, with you know, basically – I don't want to say the same information, but – that information presented in a different format so that it's accessible to them in the best way that they can consume it. And so by virtue of that, we figured out, and thank goodness I have an amazing team, it's not just me, that allows that to happen. You know, I'm glad you mentioned your team because I, I've met yeah. some of your team and I'm well aware of the work that they do. And one in particular kind of piqued my interest a couple of weeks ago, and I realized I hadn't had you on in forever, so it was it was well mm -hmm. overdue. But you and Amy Prince, I guess she's one of your producers. Would that be her title, or she just does everything? <laughs> she is director of marketing and, and um, advertising. Oh, my gosh. I mean, she's, she's got a fancy title, and she wears a lot of hats. Yeah, um, she does a little bit of everything for sure. But I love that you brought her back on the podcast recently. Yeah. And it was a good topic for her, too, I could tell. Um, grow bags. And this is something mm -hmm. that I have not spent a lot of time on. But y'all's conversation, and, and that goes to your point, Joe, of when y'all have conversations about things that you're interested in or you're learning about, it's catching. It's contagious. Other people hear it. And that's exactly what happened when I was listening to the Joe Gardner podcast. So tell mm -hmm. me, why grow bags? And why is this a hot thing right now? It's a hot thing because people want, you know, a convenient way to garden. Some people are space constrained and so they don't have room for a big garden or, you know, any any viable space outside beyond a little plot of something, whether it's a balcony or a patio or a deck or something. And the grow bags are just like what I call them is portable mini raised bed gardens. Yeah. And so you've got this sturdy fabric that is porous, so it allows the roots to breathe. It prevents overwatering because the water drains out all sides and they come in different sizes and they last for several years and you could put them away at the end of the season. And so there's nothing that you can't grow in a grow bag if you get the right size. And so even me with, you know, a, a small farm and a big raised bed garden, I'm still using a lot of grow bags and loving them for their versatility and the fact that you know, crop rotation where you're having to, where you just can't keep planting tomatoes in the same bed year after year because the soil-borne diseases are going to catch up with you. And you need to move those those solanaceous plants out of that growing environment into something else. And a grow bag is a great way to do that. So I've been really taking advantage of that for just one of the many reasons I use them too. And it's so funny, anybody that's seen, you know, all of your media for Joe Gardner 
typically your pictures are taken, you know, on your beautiful property here in the Atlanta area. What do you have, like 16 raised beds? I do. Yeah, so that's kind of the environment that I'm familiar in seeing you with. And I was surprised. I was like, he's got this beautiful fenced and raised bed garden. And at first I thought, grow bags? Is that going to look tacky? Is that going to take away (laughs) from like the look of the raised beds? But you make it work for all the reasons you just said. And I mean, even if we're not going for, you know, aesthetically pleasing, I mean, they're in different colors. It's just about how you place them and situate them. I mean, try to convince somebody, Joe, that like, it does. It does have its advantages over lumber and soil in a raised bed. And they're so affordable. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. And, and they're not just a one and done. They do last multiple seasons. You know, these the fabric that they're using is basically like uh, the stuff that you put down as weed barriers. It's the horticultural grade, strong polypropylene. And I think they come in another type of plastic. But it's basically kind of a felty material that doesn't break down quickly. And to your point about the aesthetics, honestly, they do come in all colors. You know, black and brown is pretty common, but if you want red or orange or something to spice up the garden without the flowers, you can do it that way. And so I, I have found them to be kind of a nice break in the, I mean, I do love the natural wood look, no denying that, mm-hmm. but it's fun to pop in some color that you know is going to be there no matter what the season through the grow bags too, if, if that's what you want. So really cost-effective as well, but the the cost is going to then come to us, you know, at the big box store or the nursery when we're going to fill mm. those. There's still no yeah. way around the fact that the larger size or the deeper size that you may need, you know, for something that grows underground, you're going to need all of that soil. So my question to you, Joe, is like in the raised beds that we built, we cheated a little bit and put a couple of bags of like cement that was just no good or concrete that was no mm-hmm. good anymore. Mm-hmm. Put that at the bottom put some branches, mm-hmm. put some limbs, you know, kind of build that up a little bit because the soil doesn't need to go that deep. Um, but mm-hmm. are, are there any cheats in using grow bags? Are we really, because they're limited size, need soil the whole way through? Well, uh, okay, so a couple, that's, that's a really good question because I have a couple things to say for that. First of all, my philosophy is I want my plants to be able to grow as far and deep and wide as they want to grow. Mm-hmm. So if I have the opportunity to make it all soil, I want to do that so that they you know, they have what they need. I want to accommodate them. However, before I forget, soil doesn't go bad. It just needs to be refreshed. So it's a one-time investment that can last for years. All you're doing at the end of the season or at the beginning of the next is refreshing it. So maybe you're dumping it into a wheelbarrow or onto a tarp and you're adding some compost and maybe some finely ground bark, maybe a little bit of slow-release fertilizer, and then back in she goes, you know. So you've got that all refreshed and ready. Um, And then as far as the cheats, if you got a really big grow bag and you wanted to fill up some of those that space, as long as you're, you're as long as you're not creating a separate layer, because that can impede drainage, even in a grow bag. Oh, There's science yeah. behind the fact that when you put two substrates against each other, water doesn't flow from one to the next easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, like with your case, with your bags of cement, that's fine because that's a that's a an an obstacle. It's not a layer in the um, in the grow bag. It's just an obstacle, and the water will go around it. Or like sticks, as you mentioned, if you mix them into the overall um, material, that's better. Well, sticks are fine, but like don't put a, a layer of stone or sand to fill up half the grow bag, thinking that's going to save you money. That's really going to just impede the drainage. Isn't that funny? Because <clears throat> last weekend on the show, I had in studio with me. Um, a book published in 1963 about houseplants and their Mm. theories and their methods of 
things have changed in what, mm-hmm. you know, what are we, 60 years later now? But the trend that a lot of gardeners have, I don't mean to get off on a tangent about houseplants, but yeah. that it is mm-hmm. okay to put pebbles or it is okay to put rock at the base of a pot and then, you know, layer everything in the soil above that. But really, no. I mean, yeah, you're saying uh, it like that's been actually found to not be a good idea. Correct. And and they've done a lot of studies since. And so there's science backing the the reason not to do that. But, I, you know, I I consumed that same information. I was putting stones in the bottom of all of my yeah. pots for years, you know, and have changed a long time ago. But, you know, we learn as we go. And that's the thing about gardening. No matter how much you know, there's always more to learn. And we're always learning more through, you know, microscopes and science and microbiology, things that we couldn't access before in the soil and understand. Well, finally, we're, we're coming around to that. So it's an exciting time to be in gardening because we are learning so much more about, you know, clean up and cut back and overwintering and leaving the leaves versus, you know, collecting them and shredding them in yes. the fall. It's a million things going on right now that's amazing. There's so many of us now, and we're taking up so much space on the earth. And I mean, that's fine. There's, there's you know, so many billions and billions of people. But you do have to be mindful. And I think the burden is on us as a generation now more so than has ever been on any other generation to be mindful of living with the environment. And I don't mean to go mm-hmm. off on this, you know, kind of kind of tangent, but the more educated I've become, I feel like I have a justification in feeling that way about, you know, let's not just tear everything down and beautify everything yeah. for the sake of, you know, it being trendy and wanting to look like everybody else. Like you sometimes have to be the trailblazer and the trendsetter in growing a pollinator garden or just a native garden and say, you know what, to heck with my HOA. I'm not going to do a lawn. It's too many chemicals. It's too much money. It's too much mm-hmm. water requirements. Overall, not really good for the uh, ecosystem nearby, you know? Yes. And, you know, I, 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 well, I hear from a lot of people and some just want to garden. You know, they want to plant their vegetables and their annuals and they want to enjoy their time outside and get away from the noise. And I get that. And I got an email this week about that, and um, you know, because the guy was, you know, complimenting for me for the podcast, but he said you're getting a little political because oh. in my podcast I was talking about sequestering carbon, thinking mm-hmm. about as gardeners what we can do longer term as environmental stewards, not just, you know, like you said, pouring on the chemicals to make our plants grow and bloom. Mm-hmm. We it, it's not mutually exclusive. We can do both. We can enjoy our time in the garden, but at the same time, be mindful of the unintended consequences of what we do, you know, and I think, I think as gardeners, we have that responsibility or we should, and we should be thinking more long-term because we can have it both ways. You know, we can't have our cake and eat it too. And it's just a matter of helping people understand that and how to do it. And so I emailed him back and he emailed me back. And we had a very nice exchange because wow, of that. Because, that's good. You know, I just, a light bulb went off in his head after that. I yeah. needed a chance to kind of clarify uh, sometimes those exchanges don't go as pleasant, but I know the way you handled it was was probably perfect, you know, not on coming at it from being on the defense. But to what's yeah. fascinating about what you get to do, yes, you're a gardener here in the Atlanta area, but your following is nationwide, even international on the Joe mm-hmm. Gardner, you know, Facebook group. I mean, there's we learn so much from each other, but I don't think generations before us have ever had that opportunity right. to be one-on-one, interact instantly with a gardener in Oregon and what a gardener in England right. is doing. And I mean, it's so instantaneous and it's really inspirational for us as a community to be outside of our box. You know, now it's not just our local garden club or our neighbors mm-hmm. or our friends. You're talking to people from all over the world. 
Yes. And, you know, that is true. I mean, when we were growing up, it was books and books Mm -hmm. are great and I love them. And I'm staring at about a hundred right now on my (laughs) desk that are on my reading list. And I love, love, love to read and I love books. But to this opportunity that we have to connect instantaneously with another gardener around the world that is a high profile person potentially and learn from them and access them. Um, We are this. I don't know if I I sound excited probably because I am because we're 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 in a position to learn more than we ever have faster than we ever have and do more good than we've ever been able to do in the past because of what we're learning as we go. And, you know, I will compliment you on that. And coming up after the break, I want to brag on how you can get in on some of these conversations Joe has with world-renowned gardeners. And also, you mentioned compost, and I can't let you get away without, of course, a natural question for me about composting. Joe Lample with us, Joe Gardner. Stay tuned. It's Green and Growing on WSB. So glad to have garden guru, podcast host, uh, television show host, and author Joe Lample with me. JoeGardner.com. My goodness, if you've never been to or heard of JoeGardner.com, you're missing out, but consider your life changed <laughs> starting today. Um, and then, you know, Joe, I just mentioned your your Facebook group, and folks have to, you know, mm. get permission to get in, but the Joe Gardner group where we stay on task you keep folks focused only you want you know people in there talking about gardening <laughs> yeah and we're you know we're very liberal we just say hey let us know that you heard about it on the podcast or on the radio show you know we're we're just trying to make sure you're human and that you're going to be nice hey, and there's, see, you know that's yeah, it that's if that's were the two qualifications for living life <laughs> i think you know we, we could weed out some bad seeds but so in talking about grow bags and in, in the last segment together i've got about a yeah. minute and a half here with you to go back to something you said, you know, the idea of maybe dumping out some of that soil, some of it's lost its nutrients. So mm-hmm. introducing compost or some, you know, natural stuff back into that soil. Yeah. Um, we got some folks hooked on composting over the summer. They're proudly Good. carrying their kitchen scraps and stuff down to the compost bin. Um, and now here we are, winter time. We're not doing much else. What do I do with that stuff that has composted by now? Well, just leave, I mean, leave it in place. I mean, you could cover it up if you want to try to avoid a little bit of bleaching, if you've got finished compost, but there's still, there's still microbes that'll, that'll break down material over winter, less they, they respond based on the temperature. And so there still are some in there that are going to be active, less active, but active during the winter time. So there's still stuff happening there. So if you wanted to maybe just, you know, if you feel better to just cover it up with a little bit of layer of cardboard or something just to, um, I mean, it really doesn't do that much of good. I don't cover mine, but you could if you wanted to. It's still happening, and we're fortunate that because we live in this area for the most part, um, we're not really losing that much ground. And you'll be you'll know you'll be able to tell that when you go out and you turn it. Yeah. Even on a cold day, and all that heat and that steam is coming out. That's very gratifying, and it's proof, visual proof, right there that your compost is still cooking. Now, real quick, can I go ahead and start putting some that's ready into my raised beds and let it? Oh yeah. You know, doing it now and let, giving it time to get to know each other before I do my spring vegetable garden, summer vegetable garden. Yeah, I love that you said it that way. It's uh, you're inoculating the soil with your compost, and they might as well start to learn to play nicely together. Not that that's hard, <laughs> but the sooner they get in there and cohabitate and the microbes take off, you know, because they're multiplying by the gazillions, yeah. uh, you want to do that because if that's the intended source anyway, where you're going to put it, don't waste any time. If it's finished, it's finished and it's ready to do its job. Uh, get it in there. I think I'm adding that to the to-do list today. We'll be right back just after eight o'clock. Joe Lample going to stick with us here on Green and Growing on WSB. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.